All right. Hey, welcome to Chi Alpha. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Now, before we really get into the word tonight, first off, worship, you guys were awesome. Thank you so much for leading us, um, especially at short notice. Um, It was fantastic. But one thing I want to remind you of is World Mission Summit. We will talk about this every single week. Why? Because you need to go. You should go to this. It's going to be amazing. Now, my junior, I think it was my junior year, my senior year, my senior year, maybe it was my senior year. Let's pretend it was my senior year. Um, Between my junior and senior year, nope, it was my senior year. Anyway, my senior year, I had the opportunity. I was asked to go to this thing that somebody was starting. It was this event, I guess, where you talk to missionaries or something like that. And it was in Louisville, Kentucky. And I said, that kind of sounds neat, I guess, but I don't really want to go and spend the money to go to that, so I'm not going to go. And that was the first ever World Mission Summit. Um, Now, from what I've been told uh, is that I wasn't missing much and that the first one wasn't fantastic. This is by the guy that, like, organized it, okay? This wasn't like people going, it was terrible. Uh, The guy that organized was like, it wasn't the greatest. We could have done better. Um, So, Fast forward several hundreds of years, and here we are today. Um, So January 6th through 8th of 2022 is the World Mission Summit. I love that the cable for this mic is this long, that I can move around. It's so fantastic. But the World Mission Summit, January 6th through 8th, you need to mark it on your calendar. You should mark it on your calendar. You want to go. It's in St. Louis, y'all. It's going to be a closer drive. Uh, Five years ago, it was supposed to be here last year, but COVID happened. We won't. 2020 never really happened. Um, but four years-ish ago, it was in Houston, and it was, I kid you not, it was the one week of winter Texas gets. It snowed. Uh-uh. It snowed while we were in Houston. It was dumb because we're going to Texas. So did I bring a jacket in January? Why? It's Houston. So it was, oh, it was terrible. Um, yeah, it was bad. But you will want to go to this. It's going to be an amazing event. Um, last time they did this, there were 6,000 students from all over the U.S. that joined and several hundred missionaries from all over the world. One of the really cool things that I actually thought was really awesome is they have this huge convention center room with all these tables all over the place. And for food, you would go in and you'd get your meal and you'd sit down. And every single table in there was a different missionary from around the world that you got to talk to. It was really cool. I just, I remember one very specifically, I forget her name, but she was, she obviously was a female missionary in a almost completely Muslim country. And just hearing her stories and hearing her talking and just talking about the favor of God in a country where women had no rights, but men would listen to her because why? Because she was walking in the favor of the Lord and she was seeing Jesus change the lives of people. Like conversations like that with people who live in different countries who are doing this, it's an amazing experience. It's an amazing event. All right. So we're going to be finishing up our series tonight of God's at War. And we're going to be talking about two wonderful topics. But first, let's get to our key verses that we've been looking at. So Exodus 22 through 4, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, this is the covenant that God draws up with man. 
So Moses and God are on this mountain, and God's like, all right, you guys are going to be my people. You're the descendants of Abraham. You're my people. So here's, here's how we're going to have this covenant. I'm going to provide you with stuff, but you're also going to follow these guidelines so that you don't do anything stupid um, or you don't, you don't have problems. And what's wonderful about the Bible is that it's the story after story after story after story of people going, yay, God, I don't like God. Oh, crap, I'm in trouble. Yay, God, I don't like God. Oh, crap, I'm in trouble. Which is a lot like, so I run to the Father again and again and again. I think there's seven agains in that song that we sang. But I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heavens, in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Now, we're going to talk tonight about the God of pleasure. <laughs> this is going to be so fun and comfortable for everybody. It's really exciting. Uh, so we've got this. If it isn't fun, if it isn't pleasurable, I won't do it. This is the culture you live in. This is the culture I live in. This is just what it is. So instead of calling it the God of pleasure, let's talk about what it actually is. And it's actually the temple of pleasure. It's the place we go to worship. Ooh, uh, yeah, it's a, fun, it's a fun conversation tonight. We're going to talk about two things that are not often talked about on a biblical scale anyway, or not like biblical as in huge, but like with the Bible in mind of this is what the word of God says. So the first one is food. Man, food. I tell you what. I, I appreciate food. Now, after, after the next few slides, you're going to be like, I should eat for the next seven years. Uh, me, and, me and Gandhi, we're going to hang out for a little while and not eat anything. Uh, do any of you know who Gandhi is? Fantastic. All right. Won't use that, that anymore. All right. So the Temple of Pleasure talking about food. $110 billion spent on fast food. Not food. Fast food. Just in the U.S., in 2013. <laughs> what? $110 billion, y'all. All right, 68, this is also 2013. Uh, 68% of Americans are overweight. Huh. Guess what? That's right. We're part of the minority or majority. All right. Um, <laughs> one third are obese. 72 billion is spent a year annually in the U.S. This is all stats from the U.S., by the way. 72 billion is spent on weight loss and diet control in the US. This one's crazy to me. The top five chronic overweight diseases in America cost the economy $1 trillion annually. Food is not bad. Real quick, it's not bad. In fact, it was designed for your enjoyment. Isn't that crazy? People are gifted with talents and abilities to even like great chefs to cook really, really well. When I was a youth pastor in Parsons, there was a young man who was from Parsons and I don't remember his name, but he graduated from a culinary school and he came back and he opened this restaurant and it was fantastic. Parsons did not deserve him. Um, I'm just kidding. Parsons is a, I forget I'm mic'd. Parsons is a wonderful little city in Kansas. Um, but he, he made, it was, the, it, was, it was this jalapeno bacon cheeseburger. Oh, man. Uh, on some sort of, I'm, I'm going to say brioche. I don't even know if that's a real word or not, but probably. It sounds like it's really fancy. So it's on a fancy bun. It tasted wonderful, and I love that thing. So food is actually designed. Yes, 
for your enjoyment. However, it is also a temple that we can worship at. This is both overindulgence and underindulgence. There's issues. 20 million women and 10 million men suffer from eating disorders in America, just America. So 30 million people. So this is, this is a temple that we can worship or that we can worship at is this idea of, of food. Now, this is a really weird topic to talk about because it's like we don't normally talk about food, but we'll talk about drugs and alcohol and all these other things, even though there are studies that are showing that food releases the same kind of endorphins depending on um, what you like to eat and those kinds of things. If you find this great pleasure, it releases the same kinds of endorphins and drugs inside your system that hard drugs do, okay? The temple of pleasure. Take, these are all phrases that we use when it comes to food. Oh, this cake is heavenly. All y'all going to be like, we want some cake after Chi Alpha tonight. But now I'm convicted, so I can't. Um, this pie is to die for. Or this cheeseburger, mm, it's to die for. Well, that's soul food. Y'all, soul food. Right? Soul food, okay? Um, angel food cake. Ooh, I thought I died and got into heaven when I had that burrito. Nobody said that about a burrito. But a taco, maybe. Um, Death by chocolate. Really? That's how you want to go out? All right. Uh, the nectar of the gods. I love that phrase. It's fun to use. Um, but nectar of the gods. These are all phrases that we use describing food. And yet somehow, even though every single one of these phrases are tied to your soul and to your spiritual well-being. Isn't that crazy? How often our vocabulary betrays where we find satisfaction. A very large part of mankind's ills and the world's misery is due to the rampant practice of trying to feed the soul with the body's food. What's really fun is this isn't the most awkward part of the sermon tonight. All right, <laughs> we're going to get there. It's going to be great. What's more important, food for my stomach or food for my soul? This is a hard thing because you are supposed to eat, okay? You can't live without eating. Eating is obviously a very, very important thing. But is your consumption of food or your lack of consumption of food a place that, is, that you've put as a higher place to worship than your worshiping of God? Are you, so, are you more focused on what you eat or don't eat than you are focused on your relationship with the creator of the food that you are worshiping? This is a really, really weird conversation to have because right now we're in this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend some people probably, but we're in this culture of body positivity. Okay, body positivity and being comfortable in your skin is great, but dying from different chronic cardiac, car, cardi, my goodness, um, overweight diseases is not okay. That's not a good thing. And I am speaking to myself because I am not... I'm part of that 68%. Um, that was 2013. It's probably even higher now. But I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Where, where am I finding my satisfaction? Because uh, I can tell you, man, if I am stressed, if I am frustrated, if I am just whatever, man, some pizza at 11 o'clock at night is, oh, yeah. You're right? Yeah, it was like, mmm. There's, there's more response now than there was during worship. Um, but <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Hands are going up, be like, mmm, some fried chicken. That sounds lovely. We're going to get some worship on. That's what we're going to do next time. I'm just going to have a KFC buck. 
bucket up here for worship, and that's how we're going to worship. Um, just kidding. But we have to be careful because as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, it's super easy to find things to put on a pedestal that are better than God. Not necessarily better than God that we actually worship as though better than God. Obviously, they're not better. The Bible is full of these stories of people thinking this or that is better. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier to be like, well, I don't worship this particular image. I don't have a carved out. How awesome would it be if you like ordered takeout or something like that, or you ordered delivery and you had a little like wooden statue dipped in gold, but it's a pizza delivery guy holding a pizza. And like he comes in, you've got incense burning, you know, that kind of a thing. And he kind of, hello, like, oh, you are here. <laughs> we are in the presence of the Lord. Um, that would be a wonderful video. Um, we're not going to do that. All right. Check out all these verses. This is, this is awesome. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Matthew 5, 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, for justice. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. John 6, 27, but don't be so concerned about pleasurable things like food or perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Throughout, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, of Jesus comparing himself to this idea uh, that we find in food. Now, here's a fun one. This very last verse, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We have another area of pleasure that we gravitate towards in worship and is because some of y'all is thirsty all right um you see what i did there all right um we're gonna talk about sex for a little bit this is this is fun stuff one of the hebrew words for sex when literally translated means mingling of the souls like that's a cool phrase in the correct context now Talking to y'all tonight, I am very, very much aware that some of y'all are like, I have no idea what that is really. And some of you are like, oh, I've got lots of ideas and I've got lots of pain and hurt from that. Okay? This is why we're going to talk about this. Because it's just the same expressions we use for food, the same expressions we use for food, we often associate with sexual pleasure. Whatever it may be. Okay? Sex in Scripture, God, it is good, okay? God designed it. God literally designed it in Proverbs 5, 5 through 18 through 19, Hebrews 13, 4, and basically all of Song of Solomon. You know the book of Song of Solomon? If you were a Jewish boy, you weren't allowed to read it till a certain age. Man, there's some weird, there's some erotic stuff in Song of Solomon, let's be honest. If you were here last week, like Ezekiel held no punches you are worse than a prostitute. You pay your lover. Like, whoa, calm down, dude. Um, it, this, this whole thing about sex is throughout Scripture. It literally starts off with Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Fill and subdue the earth. So it was designed for humanity. It really, really was. But just like food, it can be used out of context and in a terrible way. That's not beneficial to you or anybody else. Okay? It is meant for marriage, and spouses owe it to each other. 
that's awesome. Okay, this is Jesus talking really quickly in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. Here's what he says. He says, husbands, fulfill your wife. This is why it's crazy that he would say something, or Paul would, not Jesus, but Paul would say something like this. Because at the time, women, you had absolutely no right, and you had to do whatever it is that your husband wanted you to do. This is, this is women's rights and saying, hey, ladies who are married, like this is, this is something you are supposed to do. And this is also in context of most of the time guys, especially in this culture, would find that pleasurable fulfillment outside of the marriage bed. And the only time they would have sex with their wife was literally to procreate, to have babies. That's it. And then Paul comes along and is like, nah, this is a good thing. But it's designed for marriage, within the context of marriage. Now, number three, this one's way different. The church is often called the bride of Christ. Revelation 21, 9, Isaiah 54, 5, Ephesians 5, 27, Mark 2, 19 through 20. All these verses talk about us being us being like the large C church being the bride of Christ. So if you are, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you love Jesus and say, I'm a Christian, then you are part of this bride of Christ. Why am I mentioning this? How many wives do you think Jesus wants to have? Just the one. The, some of you are like, yeah, but in the Old Testament, man, Song of Sol- Solomon, the wisest guy to ever live, Dude was stupid when it came, comes to this. 300 wives and 700 concubines. Because he was trying to fill a void that should have been filled by God. He was trying to find it in this idea of pleasure and what does he write? You all read Ecclesiastes sometimes. It's weird because Song of Solomon, first off, you don't read Song of Solomon first. Read that first and then go to Ecclesiastes because in Ecclesiastes, he's like, everything is meaningless. It's all nothing. The song Dust in the Wind comes from Ecclesiastes. It's all dust in the wind. Like this guy who has literally anything that he's ever wanted. He's one of the, one of the richest 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 kings in Israel's history. He was extremely wise. Obviously, he had a lot of ladies if he had a thousand of them in his harem. Like, okay, first off, there's only like 600 students, six, 700 students at this university, and I can't even remember like 15 of y'all's names. I'm doing my best, and no matter how long I've been here, I screw it up. The other day, Brock and Vaughn were helping me and all day long, I was calling Brock, Vaughn, and Vaughn Brock. It was fantastic. Um, I just... It, yeah, thanks. Uh, it w- <laughs> but now they know. If I say Vaughn, both of them should look. Or if I say Brock, both of them should look. Uh, but could you? I couldn't imagine Solomon being like, hey, I know we're married. What's your name? Um, like, how weird would that be? But our culture says, if it feels good, do it. If I find pleasure in it, do it. But what's really interesting is when you look at even a lot of you, your craft in your athletic, whatever it is, your sport, I know like 98% of you are athletes, you will do whatever it takes, almost whatever it takes to get better at that sport. 
You will go through pain in the weight room to get better at that sport. You will find discipline in other areas of your life, but you refuse to be disciplined in the area of pleasure. And God calls us to be disciplined. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline. If you want to know if God is, is really, if you're allowing God to have control of your life, control of your heart, if you want to know if you are growing closer and closer to Him, self-control is a great thing to look at. Now, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I'm telling you this because I have walked through all of these things. And I have failed miserably at these things. I can tell you, on your wedding night, now maybe some of you may be virgins, some of you may not, on your wedding night, I can promise you, you want to share that moment with your spouse. I guarantee it. Now, if, that's, if you're like, well, that ship has sailed, it's okay. Because God still is coming after you. He still wants you. You can now get up to that point and still be following Jesus and still finding that self-control in following Christ. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says this, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ans- the idols of your ancestors the idols that your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. This is a really weird, weird thing that Joshua says. So this is near the end of Joshua's life. He is the uh, leader of Israel at this moment. He's about to die, and he knows he's about to die. But he's like, I'm going to do this one last, basically, altar call. And now those of you that grew up in church, uh, if you grew up going to church, maybe grew up going to youth camp or something like that in the summers and saw altar calls or whatever, I bet you've never been to an altar call where the guy preaching goes, all right, I'm going to give you four choices, and God's one of them. The rest of them, I mean, here you go. You can choose this God, this God, this God, or the God. Ready, go. And that, but that's basically what Joshua's doing here. It's actually fantastic what's going on. He's being really to the point. He's like, hey, you have all these other gods that you've worshipped, whether it be the God of pleasure or God of entertainment or whatever it may be. You've got all these other things in your life, in your past that you could serve, but I'm giving you the option. I'm asking you right now to declare which God you're going to serve. So it's not even like a, well y'all would bow your heads and those of you that want to serve Jesus, if you'd raise your hand real quick, I'm the only one looking around. How awesome would that be if Joshua did that with several hundred thousands of people? All right, you in the back. Um, All right. So Joshua does this. Um, Oh, this is continuing on this verse 15. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? He repeats that line. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's altar call gives four options. First is the God of our fathers and mothers. Because he says the gods of your ancestors, the gods of your past. Now, some of you, more than likely, because this is our culture, came from a broken home. You have a mom or a dad, or you've, you know, you, mom and you get to hang out with mom for part of the time and you hang out with dad part of the time, or those kinds of things. And so you've got these gods that your parents may have served. And some of you may recognize some of these gods. Sports, sex, money, status, beer, shopping, career, children, entertainment. 
these things that maybe maybe a mom or a dad strive for or even still strive for, and this is what kind of their life revolves around. And you, yes, grew up in that, and that's kind of the culture that you grew up in, and you have an opportunity now as an adult. You're all over 18. Congratulations, you're an adult. But now that you're an adult, you have an opportunity to choose to choose which God you're going to serve. And maybe your parents, maybe your, your dad was like, all right, listen, it's the Chiefs are playing today. We're watching it or whatever it may be. Um, I don't know why because the Chiefs have only been good the last couple of years. But whatever sport it may be, maybe it was sex. Maybe it was money. Maybe you have a, a mom or a dad that's super career driven. And that's the only way to tell if you're successful or not. It's not, y'all. The purpose that you're here, the reason that you're here, if you don't know it, the purpose for Chi Alpha why we're here is so that when you leave Ottawa University, because I want you to leave, <laughs> um, please, please. I mean, this is actually super helpful for me. So hopefully as enough kids come through, enough of you come through, I'll remember enough names to where I'll get some of them right. But no, I want you to leave Ottawa University. I want you to go get a fantastic job. I want you to move all over the country, all over the world and do whatever. But I want you to love Jesus wherever it is that you go. I want you to basically be a missionary wherever it is that God places you, no matter what it is. When you leave Ottawa University, I want you to be an intelligent and passionate follower of Jesus that makes disciples who make disciples. That when you go into a workplace, you don't be, you're not adjusted by the attitude that's there. You're not adjusted like if what you walk in and everything's just sad and you're like, oh, bummer. But you are actually a light wherever it is that you go. That's why we exist. That's why I am here on this campus. That's it. Is to help y'all find and follow Jesus so much so that as when you leave here, you have amazing merit. You know how, how I tell success? Like, I won't, I won't know if I'm successful until, like, 10 years after you graduate. Are you treating your spouse correctly? Are you loving the Lord? Do you, are, you, are your kids growing up and loving the Lord? Like, I won't know these things for years, decades even. Are you following the Lord wherever it is that he places you? That's the measure of success. And oftentimes we look at these things that, well, my, my parents really wanted me, to, or my parents spent most of their time on their career, or they spent most of their time on all these other things. And that's what Joshua says. Are you going to worship the God of your ancestors? Is that how you're going to worship? Here's a list of them that you could worship if you want to. There's that option. The second one is the gods of your past. The things in your past that you still worship, that you hold on to. This is, oh man, so good. The problem isn't choosing to follow Jesus. It's choosing to follow him without leaving your sins behind. Oftentimes we want Jesus and. I don't want self-control. I still want to worship at this God of pleasure as long as I'll still go to church on Sundays, sometimes, Easter and Christmas. Um, Go to church then. But... I want to serve these other gods while I serve Jesus. If you've got nothing from the last couple of weeks, you need to understand God is a jealous God. It's not you and something else. It's Jesus plus nothing. 
That's it. But Joshua gives them this option. Gods of your past, the gods in Egypt. We just came out of Egypt. We're about to go into the promised land. Uh, you want to go back to Egypt? You cool with that? You want to serve all, the god of Ra, the sun god, which is kind of a cool name, Apophis. I don't know why I'm able to remember some of these Egyptian gods, but that's kind of fun. Um, but Apophis is a cool name. I mean, come on. Um, also, it was a handle of one of my best friends growing up. That was when we played Halo. His character was Apophis. That's kind of a cool name. I mean, come on. All right. Uh, but the problem isn't choosing to follow Jesus. It's choosing to follow him without leaving our sins behind. The third one is gods of our culture. And this changes. This changes. Joshua says, are you going to serve the gods of your ancestors? That's an option. Are you going to serve the gods from Egypt, from your past? That's an option. Are you going to serve the gods of the Ammonites or the Amorites, whatever? That's, that's where they currently were. Are you going to serve these gods? These are the gods of your culture. This is two of the things we talked about tonight. Two, well, we, sex and, and food. Our culture says you indulge as much as you want to on anything. Now, everything we've talked about tonight can translate into just about anything else that you struggle with. Anything else that is popular. Anything else that is exciting to do. That brings pleasure. This temple of pleasure that we want to worship at. What's absolutely crazy, okay, I didn't even put this in here, but the amount of money that's spent on entertainment in our society, and yet the number one complaint is, I'm bored. We have all of these things that we can do. What's absolutely crazy is while I was even studying this and reading, first off, the food thing, I was literally eating chocolate cake, and I'm like, oh, man, uh, I need to put this away. Uh, but <laughs> So I went and ran. Um, yeah. But the gods of our culture, it's one of the things, unfortunately, that's super telling. I hate getting this on Sunday. It always dings on Sunday because I have Apple devices. Here's your screen time for the week. Oh, crap. How long did I spend doing what? And it doesn't even know sometimes. Like, you, we're in these apps. We don't know what you're doing, but you spend like four and a half hours every day. Um, it's not that bad. Uh, but, but that is very telling of what we want to serve. You know, it's really ridiculous. I'm reading some of these things, especially about entertainment and stuff like that. And one of the things I love watching, uh, GCN is the Global Cycling Network. And they put out these videos where they travel around the world and do bikepacking trips like in crazy cool places like Colombia or whatever else. And they're fun to watch. And I'm sitting here thinking about those things as I'm looking at this. And I'm like, I'm literally watching somebody else live. And I'm excited about it. I'm going to pick on my wife for a moment. The Great British Baking Show. Okay, it's like combining, it's like combining two of the, th it's combining entertainment and food all at the same time. Here's the thing, we don't watch that show unless it's like 10.30 at night, and I'm like, I'm so hungry! I'm not actually hungry, but I just watch them make these amazing things. Why are we watching people make food? It's yummy, let's eat food, but not overindulge, obviously. But watching, watching somebody getting to travel to Colombia... Not Missouri, by the way. Um, the country. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, there's some beautiful trails there. Uh, <laughs> but the actual country and spending four days bikepacking across the country and going up to a volcano, an active, like one of the most active volcanoes in the world. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, that one I'd like watching somebody else do it. I'm not going to do that. 
But then watching these people do these things, like, oh, that's so cool, that's so pretty. I'm sitting inside on a beautiful day watching this, being consumed by it sometimes. The gods of our culture. Our culture says, hey, completely and totally, if you want to, overindulge in food. It's totally fine. Are you 4,000 pounds? Who cares? Are, do you have eating disorders because there's other things going on in your heart and your mind? Who cares? Here's the deal. The battle is for your heart, okay? The spiritual battle is always for your heart. The war is for this. But the battle takes place up here. Self-control is a self-control. That's something you can pray for. That's something you can ask God for. God, give me, help me with self-control. It's a little dumb. It's kind of like asking God for patience because then he's going to give you opportunity to have patience. Just like self-control, he's going to give you opportunity to have self-control. Like, God, give me self-control. Oh no, I'm going home for three months. (laughs) Uh, I have to go back to the old life. I have to go back to those old friends, those old habits. And Joshua is here thousands and thousands of years ago saying, okay, I'm about to die. You're about to move on with your life. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods of your past? Are you going to serve the gods of your ancestors, your fathers and mothers? Are you going to serve the gods of culture? Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way you can renew your mind, because you can't do it yourself, but the only way you can renew your mind is spending time with God. That's it. Yes, Chi Alpha Wednesday nights, it's a great opportunity. But if this is all you're doing all week long, what would it be like to eat one meal on a Wednesday night and that's the only meal you have the rest of the week? That's what you're doing. If Wednesday night's the only time you hear scripture, if Wednesday night's the only time you hear the word of God, if Wednesday night's the only time you sing songs and worship Jesus, if this is it, it's like eating once a week, which means you're a weak follower of Jesus. Just like it would be in your sport if you showed up to practice once a week, you wouldn't be good at it. And yet for some reason, when it comes to spiritual matters, we gloss over that and like, that's not a big deal. Grace and love and all that other stuff. God's got me. And as soon as I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again and again, here's the thing. God doesn't want you to run again and again. He just wants you there. Yes, there is so much grace in him, more than there is in me, that he still says, yes, I've got you. Yes, I've got you. Yes, I've got you. But don't you want to walk in the blessing and the grace and truth of Jesus? I would love to have more self-control. Wouldn't you love to have peace in your life? When the world around you is blowing up and going crazy, to still be able to find peace. This is what it means to have your mind renewed. You can't renew it with food. You can't renew it with sex or entertainment. It has to be renewed with the Word of God. Last one Joshua says is, all right, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's like placing his flag down. He's making, you know, putting his foot down saying, nope, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. All you other Israelites, what you going to do? <laughs> here's, here's the options. The good and the sad part about this is that the very next verse, 
all of Israel is like, well, obviously, we're going to serve the Lord. The wonderful thing about it is that those Israelites did, in fact, serve the Lord. The problem is, is that the very next generation, the very next generation didn't. This is why when I said Caiaphas' purpose is that you go and find and follow Jesus and you help other people find and follow Jesus. Because you finding and following Jesus is great. And if, again, like the measure of success for me, if you treat your kids like crap, if you don't share Jesus with your kids or your spouse, then it dies with your generation. Choose today who you're going to serve. Here's where we get confused. In our modern thinking, we associate worship with religion. We each make the choice to worship, and then at some point we discover that that choice makes us. The object of your worship will determine your future and define your life. This is one choice that all other choices are motivated by. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. St. Augustine's cool, man. He wrote some cool stuff. Is your heart able to rest? Or are you so consumed with other things going on? Okay, doing well in your sport, doing well in your classes, doing good and great at your job, those are important things. But they're not God. They're not worthy of your worship. You want to find rest? It's in God. Finally, Joshua 24, 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. This is where he ends it. It's like, do you want to, do you want to serve God? Then do it. He doesn't say, bow your heads and close your eyes. Raise your hands if you want to serve Jesus. He says, go and do it. Now, we are going to spend some time in prayer. We are going to spend some time. We've got all this space. Spending that time. I, I really do ask you to look, look in here and in here. What, what consumes your thoughts? What is the one thing that you look at, one thing that you are consumed with every morning you wake up? Are you looking at stats? Are you looking at whatever it is that you're looking at? What is the one thing as soon as you wake up, oh, I got to check this. Oh, I got to check that. Is that becoming a God? If that's becoming God, then repent. Repent means turning. I really, I want to tell a really, really quick story. There's a lady in the Bible, in the Gospels, who comes to Jesus. Now, if you've taken Gospels, you've heard this story before, but she's a prostitute, okay? And she has this alabaster jar. It's called an alabaster jar. Basically, what's in it is perfume. And she comes to Jesus, and she breaks it over Jesus' feet, and she takes her hair, and she clean, and cleans his feet with this, this jar. And it says, what's really, really cool about this story, it says the aroma filled the room. Like, that's a cool story. Here's what's going on in this story. This story is so much deeper than you could probably even think about, okay? At this point in time, prostitutes would carry a little vial around their neck, like a necklace. They'd have a little tiny vial that they would use to freshen up between clients. Let's talk and say exactly what it is. And every day, or every time that vial emptied, they'd go back home, they'd get their jar, and they'd refill it. What this lady is doing with her alabaster jar is she's saying, here is the sin that I've been carrying around. I am repenting of it. She can't go back to it, y'all. This was her livelihood. When she broke that, she could not go back to doing what she was doing because that was like a year's salary, even for a prostitute. She was taking her sin and saying, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I am breaking this. I am, I'm done with this. And that was her turning and saying, I'm, I'm done. 
I've got to be done with this. So whatever God is taking a higher place in your life, correction, whatever God is in your life other than God has to be removed. I said this last week, God, God isn't interested in an open relationship. Maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't know. Either way, it's a great line. God isn't interested in an open relationship. He wants you. He wants all of you. That's the good thing. And by all of you, I don't, I'm not saying everybody in this room. Yes, he wants everybody in this room. But he wants all of you individually. All of your flaws, all of your mistakes, all of your past, all of your present, all of the stuff that you're currently walking with. And he wants to redeem it. That's what's fantastic. God is always and will always be in this process of redeeming. Maybe you say, man, I've got problems with, with food. I've got problems with sex. I've got problems with entertainment. I've got problems with whatever it may be. Here's the wonderful, glorious news about Jesus. And Joshua says it wonderfully in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. You can serve any of those gods that you want to, or you can serve God. Choose today. Do it choose who you're going to serve. If you would stand with me, I'm going to close, and then I'm going to turn on some music, and feel free to move around. Um, after a song or so, um, we, will, we will close in prayer, but these, these are the things I, I really want you to look into your heart, into your mind. What is it, if anything, is there a God that I'm worshiping at all besides the Creator? Is there something that I'm consumed with more than I'm consumed with following Jesus? What have I allowed to take place, a higher place in my heart than Christ? This doesn't necessarily mean that what it is is sinful. Like food. Food is not sinful. Okay? It's not. But we can treat it as a God and then it becomes sin. Father, I thank you so much for this day. God, I pray for these students who are here tonight. God, I pray that in your mercy, in your grace, and in your truth, you would restore our hearts, you restore our lives, you restore our minds. God, that we would follow you with a greater passion tomorrow. God, that we would, in fact, choose today whom we would serve.